Here's a question. Where was your car made? I have no idea. Um, Canada. It was assembled in Canada. I I believe Germany. Uh, Japan. Somewhere in the United States. I'm thinking Kentucky, but I'm not sure. Where was your car made? It's a complicated question, even when you ask folks attending the North American International Auto Show. That's Detroit's auto show, in case you didn't know. Perhaps a better question might be, do you even care? The answer may be different if you live in Detroit, the Motor City, or is it? Hello, and welcome to You Have a Friend in Detroit. I'm your host and your friend, Jason Carr. Jason Carr. That's how qualified I am to bring you this episode about what makes a car American. I'm doing air quotes around the word American. And whether there's anyone left, Who cares? Even here in Detroit, where just about everyone has some connection to the auto industry. American cars used to be pretty cut and dried. Not so much anymore. Correct. It's it's not. It hasn't been cut and dried for a long time. Uh, I would say that when we talk to our consumers who shop on our sites, there are certain brands that they immediately recognize as American. Ford being one, Chevrolet being another, but um, they don't necessarily know where their individual car is built and sometimes guess wrong. That's the voice of Michelle Krebs, senior analyst at Auto Trader. And sitting next to her is IHS market automotive analyst Tom Libby. The automakers build cars in lots of places and not always in the U.S. You know, for Ford Fusion built in Mexico, for example. The Volvo S60 is uh, made in China. And frankly, I think if you were to poll the people who've bought a Volvo S60, a lot of them would not even know that. And the same thing is true of the uh, Buick Envision. I mean, it's imported from China, and I, I think that's had no effect on it at all. I mean, that's my opinion. I don't have data on that. I think that people have an idea that there is probably a Mercedes plant in Alabama or a Honda plant in Ohio or what have you. Uh, or you raised your eyebrows. Maybe, maybe. I, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, we survey them. A lot of times they're they're wrong on where their car comes from, where it is manufactured. And I'm not sure that a lot of people care. Why do you think You that may is? have a different opinion about that. No, no, I actually agree with Michelle. I, and on everything she said, I think, um, um, frankly, most consumers uh, don't care. Uh, when they go into the showroom or when they go online, I don't think at the top of their list is, gee, I, I, where, where is this made? I, I think uh, they're more interested in, uh, is it competitive with the other vehicles they're shopping in terms of price, monthly payment, quality, various factors. But I don't think uh, these days now, the location of the production uh, is, is near the top of the list at all. 30 years ago, that a lot of the manufacturing was concentrated here. The uh, domestic had a lot more of the market share. But what we've seen in over the past 30 years, I guess it would be, um, Honda building lots of plants in Ohio, uh, um, Hyundai and Toyota down in the southeast, you know, BMW and Mercedes building. Um, so a lot of that landscape has changed drastically. You look very, there's a look of consternation no, I, on your I, face. I, no, I was going to say, I very much agree with what she said. I think the industry has changed tremendously in the last 30 years. And one of the ways is that it's very, very much a global industry now. And and in order to compete, these huge manufacturers have to watch their costs. And so they're going to build, frankly, wherever it's the most inexpensive to build. And, and so you're getting products that are designed and assembled anywhere in the world. 
We started using the term globalization about mm, 30 years ago in the 1980s. Back then, it was much easier to define an American car, but... I think you can think of it two ways. I, the, it can be uh, vehicles built by an American company where the profits come to the U.S., or you could look at it as it's built in America, and it doesn't matter where the profits go, as in with the Japanese automakers. I'm not sure how Americans actually perceive that. I think it's uh, of limited value uh, now because, again, these, these companies are huge global companies. And whether it's Honda or Ford or Mitsubishi, vehicles are made everywhere. And the components, remember, there's 15 to 20,000 components in each one of these vehicles. They're made everywhere. And there, and so um, it, I think it's a relic. I think that phrase "American made" is left over from when it meant something 20 years ago. But now I, I think, to me, it has almost no meaning. How much do you think the quality gains made by the imports in the early 80s really contributed to a decades-long trend toward foreign vehicles? Well, I think it was everything. Uh, you know, when they're number one with Consumer Reports or JD Power. That was everything. You have a lot of owners out there who have had an Accord for 30 years. They may have had five Honda Accords. They're very pleased. And so to get them to move to Chevrolet Malibu or Ford Fusion, to be frank, is an extremely difficult task. I think the Fusion or the Malibu has to be better than the Accord or the Camry to get them to move back. And that's a huge mountain to climb. Yeah, and that got us to thinking, what percentage of cars sold in the United States are domestic, meaning Ford, General Motors, Fiat Chrysler, versus, say, the import brands? Think about the ratio you see on the roads where you live, and then try to guess if that ratio is different here in Metro Detroit. We'll have that answer ahead. Locally, we cheer for the home team. I mean, I think that there's no question about that. Now, I think the Malibu and the Fusion are competitive products. But again, the perception is that the Camry and the Accord are better. Now, that's actually, if you look at the actual facts, it's actually not true. But the perception is, and that perception, remember, is built on 20, 30 years of their actually being better. So my take is that Chevrolet and Ford have to keep making the Fusion and the Malibu competitive for a long time before, actually better than competitive, before perceptions will change. Also, bear in mind that the cars, there, there was this movement towards trying Asian cars, small cars, medium-sized cars, but there was not a movement towards trying trucks. So that really, to me, explains part of the reason why the domestics have maintained their, I mean, they're very, very strong in full-size pickups. That's sort of never wavered. And um, uh, in contrast, the, all these consumers went to these Civics and Accords and so on and so forth, and, and uh, they've, never, they've never had a reason to move back. And so I think that explains sort of this two different parts of the industry. And um, I mean, if you, you know, Toyota, frankly, has tried. In 2007, they came out with legitimate full-size Toyota Tundra pickup. And they have not succeeded. I mean, they haven't failed, but their market share in that segment is around 7% or 6%. Whereas in cars, you know, the share is much, much higher. This podcast originates from Metro Detroit. I am a native. My last name's Carr, coincidentally. My father worked the line at Ford. My uncle also worked at Ford. My grandfather was an engineer at Chrysler. My mother's father worked at a Buick dealership. Wow. Wow. Uh, I have, have cars that. in my blood <laughs> from the time and I was a name. kid. My dad built custom hot rods and competed at Autorama. Curiously, he worked at the Mustang plant, but only drove Corvettes. But at least it was domestic, right? 
I, even with all of that, I did not grow up in a household, uh, and I got my driver's license in 1986, to give you sort of a time frame, where there was pressure to only buy domestic or only support Ford or Chrysler because Ford and Chrysler money are putting me through college, that sort of thing. And hence, that freed me up as a consumer to make choices. Now, in my 30 years of driving, I've had 14 vehicles, only a couple of which were brand new off the lot. Seven of those vehicles were foreign and seven were American. So about half, I mean, mm-hmm. not about, half and half. Where do you think that puts me uh, in the spectrum uh, with everybody else across the country, or the world for that matter, because it is a global business now? I would bet you're a minority. I would bet that, you know, across the country, more uh, people in your age group probably would weigh more heavily import. I agree with her in that I think your background is is very much sort of a minority. I mean, to have such a domestic background, and that has influenced your buying patterns. I mean, all the relatives you mentioned who'd had domestic only and your upbringing in an industry or culture that really is very much about domestic, I think that's really affected your opinions, your outlook, your um, so... And, and that, to me, would be a significant minority versus the whole United States. I think one of the things about us here in Detroit is we live and breathe this stuff every right. day. Right. But that's not true of oh. the rest of the country. They, there, are, there are people that don't even know that, for example, Chevrolet is part of General Motors or that Lexus is part of Toyota. So we're, we're just, we just know this stuff. We have to be cognizant that we're in our own world here. Our bubble. Uh, yeah, and and I mean, I, frankly, I travel a fair amount to the East Coast, which is where I'm from, and there's a different perspective there. And and there are, as Michelle said, there are many, many people who, frankly, couldn't care less what brand it is. They want a car that's not going to break down. They're going to be able to drive to work and get back, and so on and so forth. And whether it's a, a Nissan or a Dodge or whatever, they they just they just aren't interested. There are quite a few people like that. They're not. Here, but there are, I mean, remember, I mean, it's 330 million people. A lot of people are, have a different perspective from us. Go to Washington, D.C. I think 75% of the vehicles there are made by import companies. They're, they're, there's not a, when people come to visit here, there's, wow, look at all the American cars on the road. We're kind of an anomaly for the rest of the country. Next, we'll take you inside the so called bubble to see what makes buying a car in Detroit different from the rest of the country and how we answer questions like, what does American-made mean? It's got to actually be physically built here. Uh, Currently, I think a lot of cars are built. They may be assembled here, but all the parts are made everywhere else and maybe shipped here and put together. A car assembled in Michigan, preferably Flint, Michigan. Would you ever buy a foreign car? Never. Here at the North American International Auto Show downtown Detroit, you'll find every kind of car from domestic to foreign, cars to trucks, and people interested in those cars and trucks. Curiously, wondering if they even care where those vehicles are made. Yes, rather was in America, but you can't buy any American cars anymore. More on quality issues. That's the only thing I would be skeptical of. So I don't really care as, as long as the quality is good. I do. I've worked for the big three, so I'm all about supporting um, North America with the whole trades because I love to see auto workers get money and money to stay within our own country because outsourcing can really hurt. Not so much because the engineering standards, are, I think, are the same, right? Depends on what kind of car I would be buying. Say if I was going to buy a sports car, like a 200, like a supercar, then you'd be buying the best available, but the best available trucks made in the United States, so that's what I bought. 
Thank you for calling LaFontaine, Cadillac, GMC, and Buick, home of the family deal. This is Diane. How may direct your call? Diane is one of 1,400 employees at the LaFontaine Automotive Group, a family-owned collection of domestic and import dealerships across Metro Detroit, ranging from Ford and GM to Fiat, Honda, and Volkswagen. Michael LaFontaine is the founder and patriarch. We started off, like I said, in 1966. I spent 14 years with Volkswagen dealership. I owned part of it when I left. In 1980, I bought my own Toyota dealership. In 1984, I bought, uh, at that time, it was a Pontiac GMC Cadillac. And uh, we expanded. And uh, now we've expanded it to, to, like I say, 21 different locations and 33 franchises. The Toyota dealership Michael LaFontaine bought in 1980 is in the city of Dearborn. Dearborn is a suburb that borders Detroit to the west. It's the hometown of Henry Ford, home of Ford Motor Company's world headquarters, and a sometimes challenging location for a Japanese car dealer in the 1980s. Pretty much on a daily basis, we replaced one or two showroom windows because they're shooting them. Uh, he certainly had pickets from the UAW, uh, certainly had cars keyed and some vandalism, but then it kind of went away. It, was, it, it really was kind of, oh, I hate to say union set up but the reality is you know the really the consumer didn't feel that it was kind of being in dearborn michigan you know so we were close to the union situation so we made an easy target but you know it really didn't affect the business it really helped our business you know because people said hey i like the car i heard about this i heard about that and i'm buying it anyway times have changed but the auto industry has deep roots in detroit and that's one of the things that makes us unique the big three, Ford, GM, Chrysler, employing tens of thousands of people. Automotive suppliers employ tens of thousands more. And before the Great Recession and auto bailouts, those numbers were even higher. I used to hear people describe themselves as a Ford family or a GM family all the time. It was a thing indicating a loyalty not only to, air quote, American cars in general, but loyalty to one of the big three. That's not as common anymore, but... This is lease the 2016 Chrysler 300S with all-wheel drive, $249 a month for employees, $299 friends and family. GM employees with the current GM lease can get this Chevy Silverado for $260 a month. GM employees and eligible family members who currently own or lease a Cadillac vehicle get this low-mileage lease on this 2016 Escalade from $639 per month. In Detroit, even if you don't work in the auto industry, you almost certainly know someone who does or did. And since the big three expanded employee pricing to include friends and family... It's not uncommon for a family to have three different employee options. Their son can get one, their daughter can get one through different manufacturers. So we know that as in the domestic business that, you know, we know that that customer that was loyal to GM also has a Ford A plan, has a Chrysler A plan. Robert Simmons is the general manager at LaFontaine Cadillac Buick GMC. I think that what we see is there's a lot of people that are buying cross brands. Um, you have households that used to be um, all GM or all Ford that are actually, they have the ability to get employee pricing or supplier pricing from the other manufacturers and they're less, um, I guess, dedicated to one manufacturer. Working at this domestic store, um, we still get people to come in today that want to make sure that they're buying a car that's American-made. Um, and obviously, GM is how they feel. is It is American manufacturer. There are some of these cars that are made overseas, and people are still sensitive to that a little bit. 
Uh, it's not as sensitive as it was back in the early 80s, but uh, they're still asking questions where the cars are built. I would say it, was, it would probably be a more mature customer and uh, probably a male customer. Um, the uh, yeah, the younger customers, the millennials, I would say, are less sensitive, very, you know, much less sensitive than the older customers are. Now, you also have to understand that the majority of our business that we do here would be employees of the manufacturers. Okay, so um, they know typically before they come in the door where those cars are produced. That's another thing. Like Michelle Krebs said earlier, we live and breathe this stuff more than the rest of the country. Of course, there are plenty of people here who don't know the first thing about what happens under the hood of their car, so I don't want to exaggerate or overgeneralize. But there is something about living in a city that's been historically dominated by one industry. It's in the ether. Whether you absorb it or not, you're surrounded by automotive knowledge and passion, and they feel it in the dealerships too. LaFontaine Cadillac Buick GMC dealership general manager Robert Simmons. In this area, well, I think it's a it has to do with the uh, the employees themselves that are working in the manufacturer. A lot of times they'll walk in the door, and I've got a lot of sales consultants, sales professionals out there that know the products in and out, but these the employees coming in built them, they designed them. So uh, you have to be careful because they'll know more about a car than a lot of the employees here. Anyone living in Detroit long enough remembers there was once a pretty big stigma to driving what we just called foreign cars. It definitely was a, a, a bigger phenomenon when I was a kid. Yeah, you didn't want to drive up in uh, mom or dad's driveway driving a, an import typically. Uh, but that has, it's been diluted over the years. Um, at least that's what I see. Um, there are still those factory workers that, you know, work 10 hour, 12 hour days and they were totally dedicated to that manufacturer, whether GM or Ford or Chrysler. And you didn't drive anything but that. Um, and I mean, that was just a loyalty. It was total loyalty to those manufacturers. Um, and I'm the same way. My grandfather worked for Ford. My father worked for Ford. And my sister, uh, my oldest sister, ended up buying an import, a Spitfire. And <laughs> when she drove up in the driveway, that didn't go over well. So, yeah, that, but that was many, many, many years ago. And she was the first one to you know, break that trend. So, But around here, you'll find that some people with somewhat public jobs, the kind where people might judge what you drive, like, say, a realtor or sales accountant, a TV news anchor, still feel pressure to buy American just to be on the safe side. You don't know who you're going to offend, okay? Um, you, you don't know who you're dealing with as far as their family. There's plenty of people, like you said, that are totally loyal to one brand. And it... Uh, it may be Chrysler, it may be Ford, but it's one thing if you drive up in a, a GM to somebody that's loyal to Ford, but if you drive up in an import, then that's a, that's a whole other world, you know, that you don't want to do that. And it, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it could create a difficult situation, sure. Earlier, we asked you a couple of trivia questions. First, what percentage of vehicles sold in the United States, not including Detroit, are domestic versus import? Cue the Jeopardy theme in your head. The answer comes from Tom Libby and IHS Market in 2016. For the rest of the country, it was 44% domestic, 56% import. And in Detroit, drumroll please... 85% domestic, 15% import. 
So while we don't care as much as we used to about where our cars are made, we do buy from the companies that are headquartered here more than the rest of you. It makes sense. From designers to dealers, engineers to automotive journalists, Metro Detroit is full of people who make their living because of the automotive industry. And even if you're not one of them, your neighbor probably is. Thanks for stopping by the Motor City. Remember, you have a friend in Detroit. I'm Jason Carr.